0: You know, I was um, listening pretty intently uh, when we were hearing a report about this weekend. And boy, there was a lot that was said. I heard two things. I heard that people out of generosity made it possible for young people to experience Christ in a new way. And I heard prayer is cool. I like those two things. Those two things are powerful that, that people give and people support so that others can experience Christ in a new way. And I love that prayer is cool, right? Because prayer, I believe, is the most untapped resource of power that we have in the church, that we too often do not understand, comprehend, or pray as we should in relationship to the instructions of God's Word. And part of that takes faith. It takes our trust and belief in the power of God and the presence of God and His willingness and desire to hear our prayers and answer them. And so that's what I want to share with you a little bit about this morning is Jesus, the object of our faith, Jesus, the object of our faith. If you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, whether it's on your phone or an actual Bible or a tablet or something of that nature, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. New Testament book of Philippians chapter 2. And we'll get there in just a moment and look at that text. In a speech made in 1863, and I want you to think about that for a moment. Over 150 years ago, Abraham Lincoln said, We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But, he says, we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all of these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. I think about that that portion of that speech. And 150 years ago, our president was looking and saying, hey, we have prospered so much that we have forgotten that it's the blessing of God. We have prospered so much that we vainly imagine that it's something that we've done to be blessed like this. It's something that we've done to achieve this in our lives. And he says we have forgotten God, we have forgotten the importance of grace, and we have forgotten to pray to the God who made us. I think about how profound that is in relationship to where the world was 150 years ago and where the world is today. Uh, and I can't help but think that maybe we are reliving that moment in history. And that we have become so proud and so vain and so, so self-centered and, and so independent that we have forgotten God. And we have forgotten to pray to the God who made us. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Listen to what God's Word says. Have this attitude. There's the important thing, attitude. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who although He existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted Him, and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." So, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. And as he writes to the church at Philippi, he is trying to help them to see that they need to to stop living selfishly and pridefully. He's trying to communicate to them that, that they should not allow their pride and their selfishness to be the motivation for the things that they do or say in life. And as he communicates that, he's giving them an example and saying, look at Jesus, who is, is God Himself in the flesh, and He humbled Himself. He didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but yet He emptied Himself. Listen to some of those terms he's using to describe Jesus. Humbled Himself. Emptied Himself. Did not consider it a thing to be grasped. That, that he, he wasn't full of pride. He wasn't full of of selfishness or or self-centeredness. And I think sometimes we have a hard time following Christ and being obedient because we can't get ourselves out of the way. We're so full of our pride and so full of our selfishness and self-centeredness. And Paul says that in order for us to get ourselves out of the way, that Jesus must become the object of our faith and the Bible must be the authority of our life. And if we can begin to make those two things happen in our life, allow the Spirit of God to help those two things happen in our life, he says then we have a chance of being humble, we have a chance of, of submitting and surrendering to God and allowing His Word to direct us. And so as Paul calls for this, this unity of believers to come under the headship and the lordship of Christ, he says, attitude is everything. Notice how he began that passage, have this same attitude. Have the same thought process and the ideas and the outlook on life that Jesus did. So he gives us an example of what Jesus' attitude was like and what Jesus' thought process was like. And he says, I want you to have that same attitude. I want you to feel the same way about things that Jesus felt the thing." Attitude is everything in the journey of our faith. And so there are three things I want to share with you just quickly this morning about Jesus, the object of our faith, and our attitude and relationship to that. The first one is this. Jesus should be the object of our faith due to His pre-existence. we have to stop and think about that for a moment. Jesus, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, has always been. There isn't anything that's outside of the scope of His knowledge and understanding because He has always existed. There was never a time that something happened, something took place, something occurred in the life and the history of time that He wasn't there for. And so we need to understand the power... Of Him and His pre-existence And that understanding In relationship to our life And how we live And so that should allow us to have faith in Him Because He knows those things He's been there And He's experienced all of those things Because He has always been Listen to 1 John Or listen to John the first chapter 1 John, John chapter 1 The Gospel Listen to what it says In the beginning was the Word And the Word was with God And the Word was God He was in the beginning with God, and all things came to being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came to being that has come to being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That passage is saying that Jesus has always been, and there isn't anything in this world that was created by God that wasn't created through Him. That He was involved with creation. That He was a part of creation. And that everything that exists in the world in which we live exists through creation that came through Jesus Christ. He has always been. And because He has always been, He deserved for us to have a respect for Him and our faith. And that our faith should be placed in Him because He has existed for all time. And everything that exists has come to being through Him. And so He has a complete comprehension and understanding of all of those things. So that He might lead us and direct us in our lives in the ways that we should go. Second thing is this. Jesus should be the object of our faith due to His incarnation. Now I know sometimes we use some Bible words like that and we go, wait, wait a minute. Incarnation. What does that mean? It simply means God clothed as a man. God clothed as a man. Jesus left the throne room of heaven. And our passage this morning talks about that. It talks about He was the life of men and He was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness. And we did not comprehend it. He left the throne room of heaven and the perfect serenity of the kingdom of God to come to earth. And He came to earth, I want you to think about this for a moment, in the form of an infant child. Why? Because there are two things that Jesus came for. One of them is identity. He wanted to be able to identify with us, and He wanted us to be able to identify with Him. And so from the very beginning, He began life on this earth as everyone begins life on this earth. He began life on this earth as an infant, so we could never say, well, he doesn't understand what it is to be a little baby. He does. So that he could, we couldn't say, well, he doesn't understand what it is to be a little 10-year-old kid. He does. That we couldn't say he doesn't understand what it is to be a teenager or a young adult. Or... No, he understands all of those things. He understands them perfectly because He was God clothed in flesh and came to earth so that He might be able to identify with us and we might be able to identify with Him. Listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. It says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. He says, listen, I came so that I might have identification with you. And the Scripture says that He has come to earth and that He has experienced everything that we have, every temptation that's ever been offered. Now, now listen, we have to, to comprehend that and translate that. What does that mean? That means that, that sin really falls into to just a, a handful of categories. And everything fits under those categories. You know, and, and so, has He been tempted you know, with pornography? Well, they didn't have pornography back then. But he has been tempted with the temptation of, of the opposite sex and flesh and those fleshly things. How do we know that? The Scripture tells us that he was tempted in every manner such as we are. And I believe that, that sin really falls into three major categories. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of the life. And if we look at those three things, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes... And the boastful pride of life. Everything falls into those three areas. And if you've been tempted in those three areas, then you've been tempted in everything. Jesus was tempted in all things, just as we are. Yet, the Scripture says...
1: Come home, ye who are weary.